0: Today, Um, we're right in the middle of our series called Vital Signs, um, which, if you're regular here, you'll know all about that series. Um, Vital Signs, if you go to the doctor, he checks your vital signs. He checks your pulse, your heart rate, I don't know, clearly I'm not a doctor, your blood sugar level, and finds out how healthy your heart is. So, we've been looking at well, how can we as Christians Check out how healthy our Christian heart is. We can, uh, you know, let's, let's have a look at what the Bible says and see how we're doing against that. So that's what Vital Signs is all about. And, and, uh, and today we're looking at money. And uh, the, 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 the title of this talk is The Poor Master and the Good Servant. I'm going to be asking you three questions this afternoon. One, are you investing in perishable or imperishable treasure. I'll explain what that means, don't worry. (laughs) Two, where do you fix your gaze? And three, which master have you chosen to serve? So it's all a bit cryptic at the moment, because you don't know what those questions mean, really, but I'll explain as we go through. Um, We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew 6 right now. Um, Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's a really, it's a very well-known passage, isn't it, the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, You know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. And there's some really comforting stuff in there. But just before we read it, I just want to tell you what C.S. Lewis says about the Sermon on the Mount. C.S. Lewis, probably one of the most famous theologians of recent times. He says, It's a bit like being knocked flat on the face by a sledgehammer. I can hardly imagine... Sorry, I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of the man who can read this passage with tranquil pleasure. So just to set your expectations, let's read Matthew 6. We're going to go to 19, verse 19 through verse 24. And it should be up here. Great. So it says, do not lay up for yourselves. This is, sorry, this is Jesus talking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for your precious Bible, Lord, speaking into our lives every day. And Lord, we just want to say, would you teach us today? Lord, would you open up your word to us, Lord? Lord, we were singing um, about our hearts being open. Lord, I pray You just enable us to open our hearts today to hear from you. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us by your word today? Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about money. And um, my guess is that's provoked a reaction in your heart already. You kind of think, money? Why is this guy talking about money? You know, we don't always receive that very well as a subject. You may have seen TV evangelists. And you may be cynical when someone starts talking about money. You know, shiny suits, white teeth, big jewelry. You know, just pledge all your money to this phone number on the screen and God will do something. I don't know. So you may be cynical when you hear me saying, I'm going to talk about money. Um, You may be poor. You may be struggling financially. You may think, oh, I feel crushed already. You know, money? Why why is he talking about money? That's not my strong suit. I've, I've got problems financially. So that might be your reaction you may say, look, it's none of your business what I do with my money. You know, I'm British, my money's mine. For goodness sake, get your hands off my money. Who am I to be telling you what to do with your money? So you may have a reaction, I don't know, I don't know. But um, we can be a bit sensitive about money. The story goes that there was a vicar um, in a church and it was time for the offering. This was a church not known for its generosity. And um, the vicar, it was time for the offering, so he gets the big silver plate out and he gives it to the steward and the steward passes it down the pews and you can see this plate going down the pews, and every now and then it's down, ding, someone drops a coin on it, and it goes down there, and he tracks it across the back there, and it comes back up here, and the steward brings it up to him, and he's got this plate, and has a few coins on there, and he says, uh, okay, let's pray, so he lifts it up, and he says, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the safe return of this plate. <laughs> so, well, I don't know, it's probably not a true story, but, um, but it does cause a reaction, but it is important that we talk about money. It is important And um, one of the reasons it's it's important is because if you look at the parables Jesus taught, he taught 38 parables in scripture, or rather scripture records 38 of the parables that he taught. 16 of them deal with money and possessions and the, the effects they have on us. So for Jesus, it was a big deal. So it's important that we take that seriously, isn't it? And if you look at Jesus' teaching on money and if you look at scripture generally... It's important to understand what it doesn't teach. What does it not say about money? Let's just kind of deal with that right at the start. It doesn't say it's wrong to have savings. It doesn't say it's wrong to be wealthy. It doesn't say it's wrong to be poor. I mean, you look at, you look at Scripture and you see some wealthy people, you see some poor people. Look at Solomon, the richest man on earth. You look at Job, phenomenally wealthy, twice. <laughs> you look at Abraham, You look at David. You look at Israel as a nation. I mean, there was some serious wealth there. So money in Scripture is actually neutral. It's neither good nor bad. So why did Jesus teach so much on it, then, if it's neutral? What's that all about? Well, I think think it's because so often our attitude and our behavior with respect to money is a strong indicator of the state of our heart with respect to the things of God, i think it's a really good vital sign i think it's a really clear vital sign and i think that's why jesus emphasized it you see if you think jesus is after your money this evening he's not he's after your heart that's what he really wants he wants far more than your wallet he wants your heart (laughs) so i said i'd ask you three questions the first one Are you investing in perishable or imperishable treasure? So, as it says there, we're just looking at that first little clause. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, First of all, Jesus isn't just talking about money. He is talking about money, but he's talking about other things as well. It's about really what you prize and what you value, what you prioritize, where you get your sense of security and to some extent your sense of worth. What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel secure? Jesus didn't say it was wrong to want to feel safe and secure. He doesn't say it's wrong to want treasure in that respect. But he does say that you need to be looking in the right place for that security and that treasure. You see, if you're looking at earthly treasures, that's just a temporary treasure, as it says. You know, it's, it, moths are gonna destroy it, rust's gonna destroy it, it's temporary. If you look in heaven, we're talking about eternal treasures, and we'll look at a bit more about that in a minute. So the question is, are you choosing a treasure that won't fade away? Just before Christmas, I bought a guitar. (laughs) I've wanted this particular guitar for a long, long time, and I've been looking at these guitars for decades, honestly. It's a 1961 Fender Precision. i just give you that detail, because I know you're interested. (laughs) It's all original. The case is original. The strap's original. The cord's original. The strings might even be original, who knows, but it's a gorgeous thing. I just adore it. I've been looking at the pre-1964 guitars forever, and the rest of the sermon is about this guitar. No, it's not, no, No, it's not, it's not, it's not. And um, interestingly, when our son Sam, who who, who knows about guitars, our son Sam heard about this, he said, I can't wait to meet my new sibling. (laughs) He knows how important this guitar is. (laughs) He gets it. But just to be clear, me and my guitar, Are one day going to part company, aren't we? That's not an eternal relationship. Neither of us is going to last forever. You see, our treasure on earth doesn't last, but our treasure in heaven can. We're both in our mid 50s, (laughs) me and my guitar. What have we got, 30 years together? It's going to be gorgeous, but it's not very much. (laughs) What does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? What does that mean? It means putting your hope in God. That's what it means. It means you're not hoping in the latest gadget or the latest pay rise or the latest acquisition or your bank balance. Instead, you're hoping in eternal contentment that God promises you. That's what it means. You lay up treasure in heaven by living for God's kingdom as a priority. If you get caught up in consumerism and materialism, and it's difficult not to, then That's just a slippery slope. You get to the stage where your life as a Christian is barely distinguishable from the life of someone that doesn't love Jesus. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge. You need to make sure you're seeking your treasure in the right place. You don't want to find yourself seeking treasure in the same place as someone that doesn't love Jesus. Because that's a shallow hope. So many in society, I think, are pinning their hopes on the rewards of man. And that's what I think of when I think of money. It's a reward of man. And it's other people's approval. It's about fitting in. It's about being accepted. Is that you? That's not a good place to be. Why would we do that when instead we can live for the reward of God? The treasures of this world are finite and tiny. The best that money can buy you is finite and tiny. You know what? You know what's not going to happen? When I get to heaven, no one's going to go, wait a minute, are you the guy that bought the 1961 Fender Precision? That's not a conversation I'm going to have in heaven because it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. It's irrelevant. I may walk down the road and see someone and go, wait a minute, are you the guy that by God's grace invested your money in a new church in Ghana? Wow, amazing. Are you the guy that gave so sacrificial? that that people could be saved? Wow, that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about in heaven. We are not going to be concerned with earthly treasure in heaven. We are going to be concerned with eternal treasures in heaven. So what are some of the things that are going to be valued in heaven? What are the kind of things that will bless our heavenly father? What's God going to be celebrating in heaven? How can I today bring him joy that will last for all eternity? That's a great question, isn't it? Well, surely it's about using the things that you have now at your disposal to invest in the kingdom of God. Ask yourself, does my spending benefit my character, for example? Because that's something that's important in the kingdom of God. Does my spending increase faith? My faith, other people's faith. Does my spending affect lives for all eternity? Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, shows us a little glimpse of this. He says this... What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. What he's saying is Paul is investing his life in like the mission field, if you like, and that's the glory he's looking forward to. He's investing now for the kingdom of God. That's going to be his crown, his, his, um, his hope, when he, when, he, when he comes face to face with Jesus. That's investing in the kingdom of God. How does your spending draw others nearer to Jesus? That's a great question. Are you investing your money and your life in incorruptible treasure or corruptible treasure? If it's it's incorruptible, that's a great indication of a healthy heart. Great indication. Let's move on to the next question. Where do you fix your gaze? So that's that second kind of clause there the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You might think when you read this passage, it's a bit of a gear shift here. Because the first bit talks about treasure, money, and the last bit talks about treasure and money. And then there's this bit about the eye being a light. Well, the way I read this, um, I don't know about you, but I, I, what I value, I like to look at. I like to gaze. I like my wife. I like to gaze at my wife. Oh, I like my children. I like to look at my children. I like my 1961. No, we've done that, haven't we? Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> sorry. The the truth is that your life becomes filled by what you look at. I think most people, if you're going to buy a new phone, for example. I'll tell you how it works for me, I'm going to buy a new phone, I do a little bit of research, Um, I'm quite interested in the phone, and and, and I I value this phone, so I do a bit more research, and then the more I research, hey, the more I'm into it, the more I value it, and the more I value it, the more I research, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm getting quite involved in this thing. What I value, it attracts my attention, it attracts my gaze. I think that's true whether I'm talking about my eyes, literally, or, or just my attention, my imagination. So this verse is saying, whatever you gaze at, affects your heart. And that can be a good and a bad thing to hear, can't it? Because if, if you believe lies, and, and if your eyes pursue sin and impurity, then that affects your heart. You can't do that stuff for free. It affects your heart. It has an impact. You know how this works. You don't need me to tell you how this works. What you look at affects your heart, and that's a tough message. But it's also a great message. You can use it to your advantage as well. Because knowing that what you look at affects your heart, you can deliberately fix your gaze on things that will bring light, can't you? That's what the verse says. What do I mean by that? Well, even when we're bombarded with you know, advertising and media and marketing and merchandising... It promises you a better life if only you bank with this high street bank or choose this insurance or whatever. You know that only God can bring us true life and true joy and contentment. You know that. So we can fix our eyes on him. And that brings light into our hearts. So you can use this fact to your advantage. You can look at scripture. You can believe what it says. You can believe the promises of God. You can believe that he's got fullness of life for you for all eternity. Amazing. You look in um, the book of James and um, it talks about how how temptation works and this, this thing about our gaze. It says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, Brings forth death. And it's that same passage of play. It's that same where you're gazing, where you're fixing your attention, where you're prioritizing. It's affecting your heart. You need to find a way to fix your gaze on Jesus daily, without fail. You need to feed on God's word. You need to look at his promises for you. You need to do that. You need to be totally consumed and satisfied with him. You need that for a healthy heart. You need to fix your eyes on the things of God, ensure that light fills your body and not darkness. In Psalm 94, very, very famous Psalm, King David says this: you know this psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Your gaze matters. Where you fix your gaze really matters. The object of your attention and your affection really matters. Be careful what you focus on because Jesus is saying you can all too easily fix that gaze on money and materials and possessions and earthly treasure. Don't make those things the object of your gaze. These things, remember, are in themselves neutral but if you become fixated with them, if they fill your gaze, if they become your treasure, then you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be eternally disappointed. They're flawed, they're temporary. Be careful to choose eternal treasures and fill your gaze with the things of God. So if that's thinking about our gaze, Let's look at the next question. Which master have you chosen to serve? And this, these verses say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we've considered treasure, and we've thought about what we're seeking after, and um, we've said let's, let's, let's seek after heavenly treasure. Make that our priority. And we said, to help us to do that, we need to fix our gaze on those things. We need to fix our attention on those things, on the things of God, on his promises, on his son, on his Holy Spirit, on his word. And now Jesus goes on to say, yeah, you cannot serve two gods. It's one of those Bible passages that kind of has passed into popular culture. I bet loads of people know this verse. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. Some translations would have it. It's an interesting translation because mammon kind of takes money and makes it into a person, doesn't it? And it makes it into the deity that some people would have it be. It makes it into an idol. And it reminds us, it's not just money we're talking about. There's an idol wrapped up in this. But what does it mean to serve money? What does that really mean? Well, I think, for me, it means when, when the attraction of wealth and the kind of allure of possessions... Begins to control your life. And when you begin to make choices and decisions based on money and possessions, then that's when those things can become a God to you. When they're driving your life, that's when those things become a God. I think we're seeing a a, a sort of progression as we go through this, in a way. So that first clause is about is about where your treasure is. Are you, are you treasuring the things of this world or are you treasuring the things of God? And, and, and when we set our gaze on the things of this world, before, we, before long, we find that money is the thing that we're worshipping. You can have an alternative view, which is you can set your, your treasure, you go, my treasure is the things of God. That's, it's, a, it's a heavenly treasure. I'm going to fix my gaze on that. I'm going to worship God. You see when we worship money and possessions, a funny thing happens. You start off and you think, money is going to benefit me, because I like it when I get some money because I can buy some stuff. So money is a great servant for me, that's the kind of mindset. I want money because it's going to serve me, that's what we think. It's going to bring contentment, it's going to bring joy, marvellous. So then you start to make money your treasure, you think that's my treasure, that's what I want, And, and then your gaze is fixed on money. And you you, you want more money. You're not satisfied with how much you've got. You want more. Someone said to, was it John Paul Getty, richest man in the world, how much money does it take to make you happy? He says, just one more dollar. The nature of money is, it's never enough. You're always going to want more. And before you know it, you're reorienting your life around getting money. You've made decisions and choices that are based on money. You see what's happening now? Money's your master. You, you, you're marching to its beat. Instead of it being a servant to you, you just, I need more money, I, I'm, I'm never going to be satisfied. Money doesn't bring satisfaction, doesn't bring joy. So when you're serving money, you're, you're effectively, quite easily, making it your master. You started out, it, you wanted it to be your servant. It makes a good servant. It makes a very poor master. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Well, you see, worshiping God is by definition exclusive. In Isaiah, it says, I'm the Lord. God says, I'm the Lord. That's my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is perfectly and righteously jealous for your worship. It, If somebody, if an earthly person said that, I'm jealous for your worship, (laughs) there's probably all kinds of sin wrapped up in that, but God can perfectly and righteously say, I am jealous for your worship. And if we want to worship two gods, or if we want to worship money, it becomes like adultery, really. Because our worship belongs to God. And I think there's quite a shocking point kind of wrapped up in this that Jesus makes that we can miss if we're not careful. Um... He says you can't serve God and money. For a moment, Jesus puts these two things side by side, doesn't he? God, money. Presenting them as two alternatives. Why does he do that? Well, as we've said, because you and I are inclined to worship money. We're inclined to go after money. We're inclined to set it up as an idol. And he wants to warn us of that. To serve money as we serve God, is a terrible danger, really. And that's why Jesus talks about money so much. But just to go back to that idea of him presenting the two things as kind of valid alternatives alongside one another. So, on the one hand, we've got God, the God of eternity. The God, you know, in whose hands is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The, The God who sent Jesus to die for us. And he's offering us the richness of being in his presence forever. That's what's on offer. And then on the other hand, we've got money. So God, in his grace, made mankind. And one of the things mankind did was invent little bits of metal called money. That's it, and it buys stuff. And some of it's quite nice. Yeah, that's, but that's all it is. So to present them as two alternatives, you are either taking God, the God of eternity, and saying he's no better than something man has created. If you're putting them on a par... Or, you're taking something we've created and elevating it to the status of God. You're making it an idol, you're making it a deity. And Jesus is doing that, it's a shocking thing to do, but kind of that's kind of the, the, the decision we sometimes face in our hearts, isn't it? That, that, that speaks into our hearts. Am I gonna serve God, am I gonna serve money? But it's a scandal that Jesus even needs to ask us that question, I think. You've gotta choose, you've got a stark choice. Are you gonna serve God? You're going to serve money. Who's going to be your master? There's no contest, really, is there? (laughs) As I'm saying it, you're thinking, well, it's obvious. It's got to be God. It's so clear. It's really so clear. I love the verses that we're going to look at next. Just very briefly, we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 29. If we can just flip over. So what's happened here, um, David has just taken up an offering for the building of the temple. His son Solomon's going to build the temple. And I've just kind of edited some, I've, I've, I've taken some of the verses from that section. Let me just read what we've got. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, both riches and honor come from you. He's completely wrapped up in how fabulous God is and how God's, God's mightily, you know, just stretched his hands out. And he's Lord of everything. Riches, honor, everything's his. And then he says, a couple of verses down, he says, but who am I? What is my people? That we should be able to, should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own Have we given you? Oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it's all your own. So that's that's the mindset that we can get to. When we say, I think I've got this now. I think I know what my treasure is. I think I know where to fix my gaze. I think I know who I serve. You can go, oh Lord, all this money's yours anyway. It it was never mine in the first place. What I've got it was was directly from you and hey now i get the privilege of giving a bit back to you what a joy what a privilege it's yours anyway and you're involving me in this amazing enterprise called the kingdom of god and i get to fund some of that what a privilege who am i who is this people that we should be able to do this won't we? wow amazing amazing you know we've only as uh, as Philip prayed, I think, you know, we've only got food in our stomachs and a shirt on our backs. We've only got anything because God's given it us. It's all his anyway. We've only got anything because of his generosity. It's all his anyway. What a privilege that we can use some of it to give back to God, to worship him, to honor him, to serve him, to help further his kingdom, to bring eternal joy to him, to gladden the heart of God for all eternity. To invest in things now that are going to echo throughout eternity. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it's so good. So, how does that work in practice? So, I just want to take a couple of minutes to explain kind of what we've done really over the years financially. Because a big question about "Mm, how much do you want me to give then? What's that all about? Well, you know, God says He loves a cheerful giver. It's between you and God what you give. But you might find it helpful for me to say how it's worked in our lives over the years. So when we got married, we said, okay, how much should we give? What should we give to the church? And um, We saw in the Old Testament that it said they gave 10%, they gave a tithe. It's a very well-known part of the Old Testament, they gave a tithe. But then you go, well, hang on a minute, because that was the Old Covenant, and we're now in the New Covenant, and Jesus completed the Old Covenant, so we're kind of free from that as a kind of law. Um, but then you've got to bear in mind that they didn't know about the grace of God in Jesus. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit being poured out to all men. So I've got way more reason to be grateful than the people that were giving 10%. It would seem quite inappropriate for me to give less than 10% when I'm so blessed by God, when he's been so generous to me. And we can look over the passage of time and see how awesome he is. So we said, okay, well, let's start with 10%. So we said 10% of our gross income goes to the church, our local church, every month. Boom, boom, straight away. So that was that. But then stuff happens. So stuff happens like someone says, someone says, I'm going to plant a church in a foreign country. Who wants to go? And we, and we for various reasons, we couldn't go, but we could send some of our money. Fantastic. So that's extra cash that we were then giving towards that work. Which is great. You see, what's happening there, that's just not us being nice. It just wasn't because it was our friends. We're investing in the kingdom of God. That's the stuff that's going to bring God's heart joy for eternity. And we get to do it. It's crazy. It's crazy. What a privilege. Someone said, let's try and, no, well, first of all, someone said, let's move to Kingston. Let's start a church in Kingston. So we, we sold a house in, in Wimbledon. We took our daughter out of school. We moved across here. We bought a house here. We gave some money, helped get the church going. What a privilege. We're investing in the kingdom of God. Every time we're doing this, it's like we're stamping on money, going, I'm not, I'm not serving you. I'm serving God. It's reinforcing that in our hearts. It's great. Our gaze is over here now. It's wonderful. It's win-win. Then someone said, let's try and build, let's try and buy a building for the church here in Kingston. Great. Now this is getting crazy because that's exactly the context David was was in, isn't it? They were having a building fund for the building of a temple. That's exactly where we were. What a privilege. So we were able to give by the grace of God. We were able to give extra for that. We've got our 10% going out every month. We're able to give over and above that because God's just blessing us. Awesome. Awesome. Around the same time, we had the opportunity to send money out to Ghana because someone was building a church there. So this church paid for the vast majority of the building of a new church in Ghana. Wow! That's the stuff that matters in the kingdom of God. We're going to be in heaven meeting those guys. They're going to be going, thank you. You, 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 By the grace of God, you were able to give money so that we had a church in Ghana. Amazing. That's the kind of investment we want to be making, isn't it? Now, stop right there. This is not always easy. This is not. You might be thinking, yeah, this is a message for rich people that have got spare cash. No, wrong. This is a message for you. This is a message for everybody. Whether you're rich or poor. In our early years, we were poor. I mean, poor. When we had Alice, it was tough. When we had Alice, Tesco's brought out a thing called the value range, which we know now but 25 years ago, it was amazing, because you could get a big tin of beans for six pence, and that was important to us, because that was a big part of our diet. B took a job in a bookshop on a Saturday morning. Half a day, she made £15 pounds a week. That £15 pounds took us from in the red to in the black some weeks. We, we were managing on, you know, very, very little money. We'd often open the front door and find a bag of food there, someone had left, a bag of shopping, because they knew how hard up we were. But by the grace of God, we were able to carry on giving. That 10%, we never touched that. Other things, we were able to still keep giving for that, because we weren't going to make that money our priority or our focus. It was all about the grace of God. It was all about his kingdom. So this is a message for you, whatever your financial situation. Now, I could give you a million stories from people in the church that have have done far greater things than we've done. Like the time when um, the the pastor of the church had a young family. This wasn't Philip, this was before his time. He had a young family. He had a bashed up old car. It was rubbish. So someone gave him a Volvo estate. Amazing. Wow. Some people were going to go on holiday and they knew he had a building fund. They said, you know what? We'll scrap that holiday. You have the money. Amazing. Amazing. Some people were thinking, we've got some cash. We're going to save it for our... Our son's son's education, because we'd like him to go to private school. They said, no, let's put it in the building fund. Gave up that for the building fund. Amazing. And it just happens time and time again. There are so many stories in this church of people that have been able to do that. But you may say, well, hang on a second, who is Jesus that that he can be saying to me, who's your God? What what, what right has he got to even ask that question? You might be offended by that. Well, I just want to say to you, He can say that and and graciously and, and humbly as well. He can demand a reply to that. Why? Because he owns you. I hope you know that. Jesus owns you. The Bible knows how much we think about money and it very helpfully uses financial language to describe our relationship with Jesus. It says that we were bought at a price. We're not our own. We were bought at a price. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. A financial transaction went on. He poured out his blood so that he could own you as his own, as his bride. In 1 Peter, it says, We've been ransomed. You know how that works? Someone gets ransomed, they get taken captive. Someone's got to pay the price to set them free. That's what Jesus did. That's why we're free in him. So Jesus owns you. So he has every right to say to you, Which, which God are you going to serve? You're going to serve money, you're going to serve me. When he says, Do you want to worship? He alone can, do you want to worship him? He alone can make that claim. And he does it in order to fill you with the abundance of his goodness. So here's what you need to do. You need to lay down and kill your desire to live for money. Whoever you are, rich, poor, Christian or not, you need to lay down and kill your desire to live for money. And then you need to take up the call of Christ to be a person who wants to live for him with all your heart. And then we're into the realms of heavenly, unperishable, amazing, infinite treasure. As I was preparing, I felt challenged about three sorts of people, and I'd love to pray for those folks this morning. We're going we're to have the band up in a moment, if we can, Jamie, somewhere. Um, But you may be thinking this morning, um, first of all, you're struggling financially. And all this talk has been a bit difficult for you because you've got no money. And I know what that feels like. It's a painful place to be. But I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you this morning. So that's the first type of person I'd love to pray with. Secondly, there's some people here that love Jesus and you serve God. But you know what? You just feel prompted to nail this thing to the cross again. You just want to just want to go yeah i'm all in here i'm all in i want to nail this money thing to the cross again it it never goes away as a temptation to serve money you know you you serve god but the serving money never goes away as a temptation if you want to pray about that this morning that would be great i'd love to pray with you and maybe you're being convicted on this for the first time maybe the holy Spirit's speaking into your heart for the very first time on this maybe you want to deal with this now get this sorted Maybe you're going, yeah, I want to serve God. I want to serve God. I don't want to serve money. I want to serve God. Again, we'd love to pray with you at the front here now. So what's going to happen is um, Jamie's going to lead us in a song. And um, then while Jamie's leading that song, why don't you come down the front? Jason and I are going to be here. Um, If we can get life group leaders to come out and join us, it would be fantastic, really helpful to support. And then just come down the front and we can pray together. Plus, if you've got anything else you want to pray about, now's a really good time to do that as well. That would be fantastic. Okay, let me just pray, and then we'll, then we'll worship. Lord, we just want to thank you for um, your abundance to us, Lord. Amazing. Your abundance to us. As Jason prayed before, you're not just a God of the here and now, of the kind of temporary earthly things. You're a God of eternity. And you're saying to us that we can invest our lives and our money and everything we have on an eternal scale. You're saying we can bring you joy for all eternity. We can, we can cause celebration in heaven for all of eternity by what we do today with the resources you've given us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We just want to say that we're yours. Who are we? Who are we, Lord, to enter into this amazing transaction with you? But we say we're so grateful, Lord, for it. We're so grateful. Have it, Lord. It's yours. Have it, Lord, it's yours. Our lives, our hearts, our money, it's yours. Bless you, God. Bless you, God, amen. Why don't you stand and we'll worship.